Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now, earlier in the show over the last couple of weeks, we've talked a little bit about the reason why we want people to be very mindful and screen for different types of cancer. In particular, colorectal cancer is something that seems to be on the rise in younger groups of people. Therefore, the American College of Gastroenterology recommended that screening start at age 45 instead of previously at age 50. But even then, we still do see that people are getting diagnosed with colon cancer, and there are some preventative ways that they can work on trying to avoid having that happen, first of which is doing screening procedures when necessary, and then there's some other lifestyle things and other types of things that can increase your risk of colon cancer. But today, we're going to talk about what happens when you have that diagnosis. We're going to talk about what happens when you have that diagnosis, and we're going to be talking to... a George Stewart, he is a very friendly and gracious patient who has come on air who wants to share his experience of getting the diagnosis of cancer and what that treatment course has been and what are the most surprising parts about it so far. And also we're going to be talking to Dr. Ankur Jain. He is a gastroenterologist board certified of almost a decade and a half, practicing right at St. Francis Medical Center in Lilyha, and he's also an associate professor at at John Burns School of Medicine. So we'll be talking about some of his various roles and why this has become a cause that is so near and dear to him in trying to help all of us to prevent having the diagnosis of colon cancer. And if we do get it, catching it early and treating it as effectively as possible. So thank you for both of you for joining me today on The Body Show. Thank you, Dr. Kosak. Pleasure to be here. Now, Mr. Stewart, let's chat with you first. Go ahead. Put you in the hot seat. You know, you were just living your life, doing your thing, going about your usual appointments, and everything was going well, and then what happened? Well, you know, it really started with one of the symptoms of uh, colon cancer, and my stomach started growling, and it continued to growl through the night, and uh, of course, you think, what did I eat? Am I hungry? Or whatever. And that went on probably, I would say, about a month. Then I came to visit you. At that time, uh, I used to say, maybe we need to take a colonoscopy. And I says, okay, great. And uh, that's that was the beginning. Actually, that was the one that saved my life. When it started then and we had it, the gentleman found it. Actually, he didn't find it going in. He found it coming out. It was hidden in the corner. And uh, he put a tattoo on it. And as it came out, from there on, started the work as a cancer patient, uh, colon cancer patient. And uh, the recommendation uh, due to the size and everything was surgery followed up with chemotherapy. And that was just the beginning of life for me. That was definitely a hard start and beginning. Now, when you first had the diagnosis, what surprised you? Did you have any family members that had previously had cancer? I mean, you went in, you were having some symptoms, and then all of a sudden you get a diagnosis you didn't expect. It's certainly not related to what you ate for dinner, did it come out of the out of the blue for you? It really did, Dr. Kozak. It, I would say out of the blue, it was unexpected. I was living a healthy life, was exercising. I was in my early 70s, felt really good, you know, looking. I'd already retired, so I was taking good care of myself. And no, there was no cancer in the family at all. So there was nothing, nothing pointing to this. It was a total shock. And, of course, not only a shock physically, emotionally, and 
spiritually and everything else. It was a shock to me and, and the family around me, too, at the same time. But, uh, you know, to move forward from there, it was, uh, as I would say, it was a blessing in disguise that it was found at such an early stage that an operation and chemotherapy was the main treatment for me. Now, Dr. Jane, how often do you hear that, that it's somebody who's in their later decades of life, you know, Mr. Stewart was in his 70s, and, you know, he presents with some pretty vague symptoms, and there is no family history of having colon cancer in the family. Is that a common story that you hear quite a bit? Sure. So, as you mentioned earlier, we are seeing younger patients with colon cancer, but still, by far, the majority of patients are diagnosed after age 50. And uh, many of them do present with symptoms, uh, as George was mentioning, can be abdominal pain, changes in the bowel habits, bleeding in the stools, uh, weight loss that's not expected. Um, but in some patients, there are no symptoms, and that's why we do recommend uh, getting screening done regardless. Um, as far as family history, right, unfortunately, the majority, well, uh, majority of patients do not have a family history, so that itself is not a risk factor. But certainly, it does increase your risk. So whereas a lifetime risk of developing colon cancer is about 5%, that goes up to 10% if you do have a family history. So it doubles. Yep. So if you don't have a family history, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But if there is someone in your family who's had it, then that does double your risk, and you need to seriously take charge and make sure you do your preventative screening. Particularly if you have a first-degree relative younger than the age of 60. That, by far, uh, carries the highest risk for you. And if you have that situation, what should you do? Tell your provider, make sure that you find out more about that relatives, first-degree relatives course, and then get screened appropriately? Right. So hopefully by this time your provider has already discussed screening with you. But if not, definitely be proactive. Talk to your provider. Let them know, hey, um, you do have a family history. You may have other risk factors as well, uh, and and you want to get screened. And uh, the provider at that point, I uh, will discuss options with you, and that may include a colonoscopy, uh, and for some patients it may not. But uh, as we always mention, the best screening test is the one that gets done. That's a very important point, is the one that gets done. Now, there are some screening tests that are out there, some home stool kits, and there's Cologuard, and those are for average risk individuals. So for the people that you mentioned who might have a first-degree relative <laughs> of someone who's had a diagnosis below the age of 60, they're not low risk anymore. They're not average risk. That would put them at a higher risk category, wouldn't it? Absolutely right. So uh, screening tests are generally recommended for patients who are average risk and have no symptoms. So if you do have any of the symptoms that I talked about or there are other risk factors, including family history, uh, including inflammatory bowel disease or certain other genetic conditions that can predispose you, then those screening tests, those remaining screening tests are no longer accurate enough to diagnose uh, colon polyps or colon cancer, and you really do need a colonoscopy. Now, I'm curious, Mr. Stewart, when you did your first colonoscopy, that was the first of many, and now you've probably had to do sub subsequent colonoscopies. When you did your first one versus when you recently have done one to make sure everything's going well, what are your thoughts on people who fear just going through that whole process and doing the colon clean out the day before and coming in for the scope? You've, you've had your fair share of, of scopes done. What is your advice for people who are a little concerned? You know, to be concerned, understand, and they always say, you know, the prep is the worst part of the colonoscopy in there. Uh, but if you, I'm coming from a cancer patient's in there. I look forward to my colonoscopy, to be honest. I have one annually now. And the reason is, it's a preventive 
measure that can be taken and signs of cancer can be found early. And no one, believe you me, no one wants to go through a cancer journey. It not only affects the patient, the caregiver, the whole family, and it changes your lifestyle actually forever if cancer is found. So it's like buying insurance. The colonoscopy is your insurance policy to help you continue to live in the life that you have come used to and desire to live into the future and even into retirement. So, yes, I would say don't fear a colonoscopy. They're your best friends in this world. All right. Well, that from somebody who's been through many, I will take that to heart. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. Today, we're talking about what is the journey for someone diagnosed with colon cancer. We have George Stewart, who is here as a patient willing to share his story, and Dr. Ankur Jain, who's also here. He's a gastroenterologist of over almost a decade and a half experience, and he's sharing what it's like on his side. What what happens when he diagnoses people with colon cancer and what next steps have to take place. We'll be right back with a quick message and coming back discussing the question of what is step two? What happens after you've had this colonoscopy and what if we find something? We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking about what happens when you get a diagnosis, like Mr. Stewart described right before the break, that kind of changes your life from this point onwards. Now, Mr. Stewart, you mentioned it was on the way out that they found this little cancer tumor hiding in the corner, and subsequent to that, you were told it's time for surgery, and then you have to do chemotherapy. You mentioned it changed your life forever. What do you think has changed the most? I think what changed the most is one of the things, once you've had cancer, there's mentally a state of consistently fear. So the colonoscopy is one of the one of your friends, like I mentioned earlier, to help lower that state of fear or anxiety in one that my cancer could come back in there. And to stay on top of that is, is a regiment that is well well needed, no matter what your age is, whether you're 45 or you're in your 70s like I am. Like I was, it is some. It is the first class or the golden handcuffs that you want to put on yourself and walk in there and enjoy the trip. Because once you become a cancer patient, there's the side effects from the chemotherapy, from the surgery. It continues on, and your life it will continue on in a different phase and state. Well, it sounds like when you go in to do your colonoscopy, it's almost like you're holding your breath saying, I hope it's clear. I hope it's clear. And then, you know, luckily getting the information that it is and just taking that nice exhalation, knowing that everything's going to go well for at least the short interim future. Now, Dr. Jane, you've diagnosed cancers for patients. You've done the colonoscopy. You find the area of concern. What are the first steps? Is is a complete removal always indicated? Is it a biopsy that's done? What sort of things do you find in these precancerous to cancerous polyp situations? Sure. <clears throat> so uh, when we do a colonoscopy, uh, oftentimes we'll find either a polyp or something else. And, and in a lot of cases, uh, you know, we'll have an idea. Hey, this this is not this is something that doesn't look too good. Um, generally, polyps that are larger, irregularly shaped, in some cases there may be uh, actual ulcerated, very uh, friable, uh, just very angry-looking tumors that we find in the on the co- in the colon. 
Um, but we really don't know the specific diagnosis until we biopsy it and send those results to a pathologist, and they look at it under a microscope. Once we get those results, then we can sit down and have a talk with the, with the patients. Now, if they are smaller polyps, then sometimes we can actually remove them at the time of the colonoscopy safely. Larger polyps, however, may not necessarily be safely removed. And in some cases, if they do come back as cancerous, full-blown cancer, they do require surgery because that superficial cut that we made during a colonoscopy may not be enough. They need a deeper cut, and oftentimes they have to make sure there are no lymph nodes, which they can only do at the time of a surgery. Um, if, if the tumor is found early, if it is localized, which is our best bet, then surgery oftentimes is curative. Uh, so that's why it is really imperative to get this test done early to make that diagnosis early. You have more than a 95% chance of a five-year cure if that's the case. But that goes down to less than 40% if it's caught in later stages, particularly advanced disease, which oftentimes these cancers are. Then we require other treatments besides the surgery itself. Sometimes that can be chemotherapy. There are newer treatments as well that are being studied or being offered, including uh, biologic treatments or immunotherapies. And in some cases, particularly cancers of the distal colon, the rectum, radiation may be involved as well. So at that point, we'll oftentimes refer the patient to an oncologist and a surgeon, and then uh, they get together, sometimes in a, in a multidisciplinary conference, to, set, to decide what's best for the patient. Now, you mentioned that lymph nodes become part of the reason why surgery is often indicated to see if a tumor has spread to lymph nodes. How important is it to to get enough lymph nodes during a surgical procedure to have an idea of whether or not it's spread. I know for other cancers, like for breast cancer, for example, you can do a sampling of what we call a sentinel node. The one node that if that one's positive, you got to keep looking, but if that one is, is negative, then you probably don't have to worry. Are there similar findings in the colon, or is it different because of the anatomy? Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, there are there is a... Uh, a uh, are, there are a lot of lymph nodes that are uh, uh, that do drain the colon, but um, unfortunately, there's no real sentinel lymph nodes. So a lot of times, the surgeon does have to sample multiple lymph nodes if there are areas of concern around the tumor uh, to be sure that that tumor is spread uh, has not spread. But in some cases, even then, they do a sampling, and it may not be 100% accurate, unfortunately. So, which is why it's really important, even after that initial surgery, to have follow-up testing with blood work and imaging uh, CT scans with the oncologist to make sure that there is no uh, chance that that cancer is recurred. Um, the highest chance of recurrence is within the first five years. So that's really when um, you know both the gastroenterologist, the surgeon, the oncologist, all of them are the most, most aggressive in terms of blood work, imaging, and colonoscopies. So there is a follow-up colonoscopy you'll do at one year, and then three years, and then every five years. After five years, the risk does go down significantly, but still time to time it's good to check in with your specialist. Are there any blood tests that correlate with the diagnosis of colon cancer that can be followed? So the most common one is called a CEA, a carcinoembryonic antigen. Um, now, it's not 100% as diagnosis, so oftentimes people will ask, hey, is there a tumor test we can do instead of a colonoscopy to see if we have colon cancer? Um, CEA is a great test as a baseline. So if you have a, a patient who's been diagnosed with colon cancer, that CEA level is often checked initially, so that can be followed down the line four chances or evidence of recurrence, but it's not enough to make the diagnosis itself. It doesn't replace the other diagnostic tests. Now, if colon cancer were to spread, one of the first places might be to the surrounding lymph nodes. Where else might it go? Most commonly, we'll see the liver as a, uh, as a metastasis or as a spread. Um, the, the liver actually is involved in a lot of the blood flow from the colon, detoxifying the bloods. 
uh, from uh, different substances, different chemicals, different toxins. Um, but it can also spread to distant sites as well. Um, you know, we, we hear case reports all the time of less common sites uh, of, of uh, metastasis, but primarily the liver is the most, most common. And in that case, it may be visible on studies you can do with the liver, an ultrasound or a CAT scan or some other type of imaging study. So if it has spread, that may be something that's relatively straightforward to identify. But then that changes you with the statistics and the types of treatments that you need that start to require some additional advanced things like intravenous chemotherapy. Right, right. So, you know, again, if the tumor has spread, uh, if it's beyond a certain stage, beyond the colon, Surgery is no longer curative, and we do rely on, uh, on other treatments, medical treatments, including chemotherapy, including immunotherapy, to help keep that cancer under control. Now, they may not always be curative at that point, um, but the idea is to at least keep them in check. And many times, patients can go on still for many years, um, and, and in some cases, they can actually be cured with the chemo itself. But again, once again, the best chance is in the early stages uh, with a surgical resection. And you've referred to immunotherapy a couple of times, and that's sort of a relatively new way that we have been able to treat cancers. What is what exactly is immunotherapy? What are we targeting there? Sure. So these these uh, medications are newer, um, and a lot of them are still being studied, um, but they do involve the immune system, getting the immune system to basically help attack some of these cancer cells. Um, but at some, but in some cases, they can also involve very severe side effects. So that is one of the limitations of of some of these neurotherapies. Um, the oncologists are the ones typically who will make that decision: what is the best for the for the uh, for the patients, um, and in you know in which cases they'll they'll definitely go over the risks and the benefits of each type of treatment. But yeah, that, those are newer treatments that are currently being studied and in some cases offered. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to hear more about what are some of the side effects of chemotherapy and what are some of the ways that you may be able to mitigate that. We'll hear from Mr. Stewart, who's been down this road and has had some of these firsthand. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, Bavarian motor experts, and Chaminade University. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we are talking with Dr. Encore Jane. He is a gastroenterologist with many years' experience practicing at St. Francis Medical Center in Liliha. And George Stewart, he is a patient who has been down this road, been shocked by a diagnosis in his early 70s and still dealing with this on a regular basis and doing very well. So, uh, Mr. Stewart, you went through surgery. You went through chemotherapy. These are not easy things to do, particularly not when you're not in your 20s anymore. I, I agree, uh, Dr. Koza. Actually, I ended up having three surgeries uh, in there during the process and some infections inside, blood clots in both lungs, uh, so hospitalization. The chemotherapy uh, was... Uh, was full fox. I I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, it was supposed to be ten rounds of full fox, uh, and my oncologist at that time recommended uh, went and says uh, maybe we can stop at five, George, because of finding the cancer early through the colonoscopy. And I says okay, because I was already feeling some numbness in my feet at that time. 
which is a side effect at that. And uh, sometimes it goes away. In my particular case, almost five years, it has not gone away. So it's one of those things you learn to live with, and you're just thankful that your feet are continuing to move and you keep going. So what do, what do you do uh, after you've been diagnosed and, uh, and there? I think one of the things is a positive attitude is surrounding yourself with, a, if I could say, a community. Uh, friends, fans, and stuff to bring yourself together. And the, this is a journey. It is. It's nothing to take lightly as a soul person that you're just going to take it on. But you do have to have a positive attitude. Your attitude will definitely change, in my mind, the direction in which you go. Yeah, you'll have side effects from the chemotherapy, like most people do, some way or another. But they they can be overcome. Those are short terms, not long term effects in there. So. To move forward, you have to continue to watch your diet, exercise regularly like anybody should be doing in there. And again, we're getting back to the golden rule. Get that colonoscopy, you know, because it's it's your lifeline to being a cancer-free person. And uh, I can't say more about it in there. I, I appreciate it. It was a journey, one that I wish I could, wouldn't have to repeat and don't look forward to it in there. Well, it certainly has been a long road for you to get to the point of initial diagnosis and now feeling passionate enough about trying to help other people that you're recommending colonoscopies for anybody who's at risk and even for those who are the most afraid. This has really become something that has become a purpose for you. It really has. Uh, we, it, it's driven my wife and I into a nonprofit uh, Compassion for Cancer Caregivers, and it is, we're in our seventh year uh, with that organization. And it's really, it's really going to the community. It's changing a culture, the way they think and look at cancer. And that's, uh, you know, in the olden days, people didn't think about cancer that much in there. But today it's, correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere between six to 7,000 new cases every day. Every, every year, excuse me, and uh, that's a significant number of the population that will be affected and the families and friends of the people around that in there. So try to avoid that journey. I keep repeating the colonoscopy is the way to the golden rule. Yeah, there are other side effects or there's blood tests that can be taken, give you a, a hint that maybe something's wrong in there. But uh, to move forward and to know that you're cancer-free, is a relief. It's, it's, it brings you back to a normal life. Even, a, even after cancer, you can live quite a normal life as long as you have the right attitude and you serve yourself out in, into the community. I think giving back is one of the biggest things I've learned from this in there is once you've been down something and you've been through it, to have a chance to come on and talk to you and Dr. Jane about giving back to the community. It really is helpful. Well, said from someone who's been there and who knows the journey and who wants to help really everybody else who unfortunately has to go through that journey, but also if you if you can get it caught early, that's yeah. one of the one of the key ingredients. I'm curious, Dr. Jane, how often do you find that people get it diagnosed early? I mean, you're you're on the front lines. You're doing the colonoscopy. You're doing preventative screening colonoscopies and then finding something and doing diagnostic testing. How often do you see that people get it caught at an early stage? Yeah, unfortunately, the um, you know the facts really don't bode well. The, the majority of patients that we see are actually often caught at later stages, um, you know, because for whatever reason they've been having symptoms. Either 
they haven't mentioned to their doctor or the doctor hasn't referred them. Um, so, uh, it, you know, it is it is unfortunate, but a lot of times we do have to make that diagnosis that, hey, you know, you have this tumor and it looks like it has spread. Um, so that's one of the most difficult conversations we can have with our patients. But, you know, still, there are always chances, even in later stages, to get this treated. So, you know, we still recommend seeing those specialists, seeing the oncologists, seeing the surgeons. And, you know, honestly, research is being done every day. There's new trials coming out, new medications coming out. Um, and so we're always hopeful that there can be, um, you know, more treatments available for even advanced stages. Um, but, you know, a lot of these are under trial basis or even the ones that are being approved, a lot of them do still require insurance coverage, so cost becomes an issue as well. So, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a daily conversation, and, um, and, you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, we certainly hope that we don't have to give a diagnosis like that, uh, or if we do, that we, we can offer, um, you know, a reasonable cure. Um, and um, so, you know, we, we, uh, we just take this day by day. Now, what could someone do if they were trying to prevent developing colon cancer lifestyle-wise? We've heard from Mr. Stewart. He talked a little bit about changes in diet and things that he's doing to stay healthy, adding exercise to the routine. He was already really good at both of those. What are some of the things that if somebody has done their colonoscopy and let's hope that it's negative and they're told you're good, how can they keep that from being uh, from turning into a to a diagnosis they don't want to hear. What are some of the lifestyle things that sure. they can do? That's a great question. So uh, you know we we generally separate out risk factors for colon cancer into um, preventable and non-preventable risk factors. So some of the non-preventable ones we talked about. So definitely, as we get older, there is an increased risk. Um, there is also an increased risk with the family history, particularly a first degree relative younger than sixty. Certain genetic conditions, polyp forming conditions, uh, those are risk factors, inflammatory bowel disease, and even diabetes is also a risk factor. But really what we want to focus on is the preventable or reversible risk factors. So diet is a big one. In colon cancer, high-fiber diets are very important, particularly diets greater than 25 grams, and diets less or lower in amount of red meats, processed meats, and greasy foods. Those have been shown or proven to be risk factors for colon cancer. And some studies by the World Health Organization actually suggest that they may be as risky for colon cancer as smoking is for lung cancer. So it is definitely some place, uh, some things that we talk about with our patients. Besides those, alcohol use, smoking, obesity, lack of exercise, these are all risk factors as well. Um, so those are things that we talk about with our patients, you know, not the preventable things that we can at least discuss or at least encourage, uh, suggest to our patients. Well, and all those things sound like they could help with a variety of different conditions. You know, we're talking about diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, cancer, not just colon cancer, but any type of cancer, really. We're finding that there are some lifestyle things that could be done to help prevent that from being the case. Now, I'd be, I'd be curious to know, Mr. Stewart, you've, you've been down this road. If anybody were to say to you, I'm just not sure, no one in my family has had it, your best advice to give them to work on screening would be what? My best advice is call me and let me pick you up at your house and take <laughs> you to take you to your primary doctor. And, oh, you're and, getting into it. You're and, going there with them. We're, okay. we're going there. You know, if you have any of the symptoms that we talked about before and, and 
as Dr. Jane just talked about some of the outward things that you're not exercising, you're not eating properly, eating a lot of red meat and stuff like that, and you suspect something could be wrong. Uh, I think the fire alarm is going off. Uh, it's time. It's time to take action, get out of the firehouse, and and see if we can put this fire out. And the earlier we put it out, we all know the chances of survival and the chances of returning to somewhat of a normal life is greater at that time. Fantastic. Dr. Jane, it only takes how long to do a colonoscopy? About half an hour. Half an hour. For half an hour, you can make sure that you don't have a cancer that takes a lot more than that to treat it later on. I want to thank both of you for sharing your expertise and experience with us today on The Body Show. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org and follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Thank you to Dr. Encore Jane from St. Francis Medical Center in Liliha and from George Stewart, patient who has had this unfortunate experience, for sharing all of what you've been through to help the rest of us hopefully be able to avoid something similar. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show.